I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, a look at music's effect on our everyday lives. I am so thrilled to have singer and songwriter Sarah Groves with us today. For over 20 years, Sarah has been a recording and touring artist. She's recorded 15 albums, and her music is available everywhere you stream or purchase music. Sarah and her husband live right here in the Twin Cities in St. Paul with her three children. I was aware of Sarah and her music, but a huge thanks goes to podcast listener Aline Belke for alerting me to Sarah's passion for justice and the unique ways Sarah is using her platform to enhance lives with music. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. Welcome to Enhance Life with Music. Thank you, Mindy. I appreciate it. Sarah, my husband and I were introduced to International Justice Mission, IJM, at our church several years ago, and we were blown away by the work they are doing, and we've been supporters of IJM ever since. I learned that you have been an artist advocate since 2005 with IJM. For listeners who aren't familiar, can you explain what IJM is, and then tell us about your relationship with them as an artist advocate? Yeah, sure. Um, I found IJM on a personal level. I, I was in a bit of a faith crisis in my late 20s, and I began reading about the work of IJM, and it had a very deep impact on my life um, in that they were standing in the gap, really. Uh, IJM, International Justice Mission, exists to um, create help for uh, the oppressed people that are experiencing um, violence. So the church has addressed a lot of, like, um, uh, talking about how to provide a clothing or food or programs or different, you know, obviously church type related. Um, what's the word I'm searching for? Sorry, programs or things like that. But mm-hmm. um, Gary Haugen had just basically the insight that no one was standing in the gap to defend the poor against violence and that we could actually engage with that. And uh, so IJM is a group of lawyers, law enforcement officials. Uh, they partner with law enforcement um, investigators, aftercare specialists, um, who are really seeing people from that place of, of severe oppression through to uh, an aftercare process of healing. And so they're rescuing people from human trafficking situations, from mo- modern-day bonded slavery, um, and any, any place where, where violence is being perpetuated against the poor and they have no access to help or relief. And um, so, I, yeah, I've been extremely moved by that. And it, it was a very life-changing um, encounter to meet with them. Mm. And tell us about your relationship with them as an artist advocate. Well, in 2005, I w- attended an event where I was doing music. So at first, it looked like me doing music for them at different events and benefits. And it, the first event I ever uh, played at, um, I met a young woman who had been trafficked at 15 and her story, she was giving her, telling her own story in her own words. And um, I was just radically changed by her testimony and the fact that she would expose sort of the worst moments of her life uh, to benefit and, and impact the lives of other girls that she knew that were still um, being held in slavery and uh, being trafficked. And so I left that room saying, oh, I my something about my faith was changing. I was I had spent a great deal of time really honing and honing and honing my the orthodoxy of what I believe, what I will say I believe, mm. and I realized that my orthopraxy was um, that was was grossly underutilized uh, the practice of my life. And I started, I was looking at these friends. The way I described it was I had been tuning and tuning a car in the in my driveway. I'd been cleaning it and you know polishing mm-hmm. the seats and the 
and washing the window. And I looked up and saw my friends at IJM just like do, you know, doing donuts in the parking lot with a, with a top down and realized that my faith engaged was going to be a whole different experience. Mm. Um, and I, the way that I was engaging it to that point was still very internal and very sort of inside the walls of the four of the, the four walls of the church. So mm. for me to find, uh, to see this passion of this young woman whose life was so incredibly uh, transforming to me to, to, to bear witness to her life. And I left there saying, whatever I can do, let me, let me be a part of this. Don't leave me behind. Don't take my money and leave me behind. I want to be actively involved in this. And so I left there and thought, well, I write songs. If I first said to a friend of mine, um, I, I, I think I'm going to want to become a lawyer aftercare. I, I've got to get involved in this somehow. And my friend, I remember her waving her hands and shaking her head no <laughs> while I was mid-sentence. And I thought, um, okay, well, don't say no all at once, you know. But she said, um, she, she actually worked for IJM, and she said, um, Sarah, we need songs. We need songs. And so I took that seriously, and I went away, and I wrote that, the record, Tell Me What You Know, which is me saying to this, this friend of mine, this uh, girl that I had met, tell me what you know about God and the world and the human soul, because you know my God better than I do. You have been in the trenches, and you, you've felt his faithfulness in a way that I've never experienced, and you've seen these verses come to life, like, men lie in wait to ensnare their victims, you know, like these Psalms are not just, um, they're not just about our spiritual lives. And so I started seeing all the Psalms and all of these verses lived out for real, where people were standing up for the oppressed. And it wasn't just about sort of when Jesus comes right out of the desert, he says, uh, for the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, freedom for the oppressed and release for the prisoner. And I started realizing this wasn't figurative. This wasn't all just spiritual. Uh Um, God was inviting us to an orthopraxy that was engaged with the world. And so for me, the engagement came through my gifts, through writing music. And that was one of my, it's been one of the greatest honors of my life to try to write music that comes alongside the work and expresses what they're doing. Mm. And your passion for justice is directly tied to your Christian faith. Tell us about the connection that you see between Christianity and the work that you do to promote justice. Well, I've been disheartened because with all, with all of our um, deepening divides, there, there's been there has been increasingly again, which I grew up with, uh, just warnings about the word social justice, about engaging with justice apart from your spiritual life or your or the gospel. But to me, there is no separation. These aren't two compartments. Mm-hmm. To me, they're one and the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I feel very strongly about that. So I. I think I think last summer I heard before COVID we we were out and uh, on the road and I heard four different I was in four different conversations where someone was kind of warning um, especially young people about like social justice and I thought um, oh that just it, that hits me hard you know because mm-hmm. I think um, I think we need more encouragement to engage than we do to um, than the other way so um, I think that uh, it. it to me, it's all integral. And I, I've never, if you listen to Gary Haugen share about what he calls um, the hidden passions of God, um, you read all of scripture differently, you know, from all, all throughout the prophets, everyone, there, there wasn't a single prophet that didn't speak to the king of his day about the poor and the oppressed mm-hmm. and how they were dealing with that. So, mm-hmm. so I see that it's all, it's all integral. And it's, to me, it's about congruency. You know, I want my 
insides and my outsides to be congruent. Mm -hmm. Another way that you do that is you run along with your husband, Troy, a unique community art center, Art House North in St. Paul. Tell us about Art House North and what you're doing there. Well, I, I did two records with Charlie Peacock in Nashville. He produced a couple of my albums. Um, and I was, uh, Charlie Peacock founded the first art house in Nashville and mm. it, he and his wife bought a hundred year old church and they converted it into, they lived in the church and then he had studio space there as well. So okay. when I did other side of something and then the, the, the record fireflies and the songs both were um, produced by Charlie Peacock and it was my time there. Uh, I said that I could go to Nashville and I could go a lot of places to learn about the business and how to advance my career. But at the art house, um, that is where I learned about the role of the artist in the world and what it meant, you know, what it looked like to think about myself as a whole person and, and what my role might be in, um, again, this, this type of congruency. So Charlie's actually the one who introduced me to international justice mission initially. Oh, oh Okay. And, um, and we were just having good conversations about advocacy and what, what does it look like on every front as a mom, as a, as a parent, um, as a, a spouse to Troy as in all these ways. And so Troy and I were really inspired by the work of Art House, which uh, Charlie will say there is no good elevator speech, but the, um, <laughs> our shared motto, there are three art houses now. There's one in Dallas, the one the original in Nashville, and then ours in St. Paul. Mm. And our common uh, motto is creative community for the common good. Mm. And so that has manifested itself differently in the three cities because the three cities are very different. And we are attempting to be local here um, and respond to our city. So we have a lot of neighborhood partnerships. We have uh, friends who run a theater company who live about a block from us. And everything that's happening here is very, very local. There's a church that meets. The pastor lives another block away. Uh, there are a lot of things that happen out of the art house that are our attempt to share these kinds of conversations with our community. So we were on the road touring for many years and we were gone more than we were home. And we really longed for uh, the ability to plug into our local community and know people better there here at home. And so this was our attempt to bring a little bit of the conversations we were having on the road um, bring those home. Well, and what great timing with now everyone being quarantined. <laughs> yes. It's not a great time to own a venue because our we had to basically close our doors uh, in March. And uh, um, so that's been, that's been hard, but it's been very beautiful and surprising. Um, just the way things have worked out. We've, we've had all kinds of other opportunities. Our, our theater camp that we normally run for kids, um, they just took it outside and did it in the yard. And so we've had a lot of all kinds of grace and, and people coming alongside of us, even though it's been a, a, a difficult year for venues and yeah. musicians, really, yeah. for, uh, yeah. at large. Definitely. Talk to us about some of the other ways that you do cultivate creativity for the common good. You mentioned some camps and church services. What are some of the other ways that our house north cultivates creativity in that way? Yeah, those are both uh, partnerships. So we, we have like things that we do ourselves and then we have different partners. Uh, mm. Things that Troy and I are, are sort of initiating. I have a songwriter group that meets monthly. Uh, that's now moved virtual. We used to do a school of rock kind of uh, after school. We call them Let's Rock. They were after school mm -hmm. band lessons for kids, uh, group band lessons for kids. Uh, and then we've done, uh, we've had all kinds of different program things, but I think a quintessential art house event was is a artist respond and every maybe twice a year we have artist respond night which is we invite artists to respond to 
some kind of cultural moment or, or conversation. And so instead of having a panel discuss, uh, say, you know, creation care or gun control or, or racial reconciliation, we have artists uh, create art and then share about their art in relation to these topics. And it's just a very moving and the arts tend to open. It tends to start with a question. Um, artists are not afraid of questions. Artists are very um, curious and want to tell the truth about, you know, everything that they're seeing. I think it's very much like the Psalms. What we see in the Psalms is that an artist is bearing witness to everything from the, the lament to the, you know, hilarious praise. Uh-huh. So. And when you talk about artists that that you're working with at our house, you're talking about photographers and and musicians and actors. What, yeah. what forms of art do you work with? Well, after our very first artist respond event was after Sandy Hook, and um, mm-hmm. I was really impacted by that um, as my daughter was in kindergarten at the time, and mm-hmm. I couldn't stop thinking about it. It just shook me really deeply, and I was actually had been performing in that right next to that community in the community next to it that that night and the morning as I took my cab ride to the airport in New York City. I was hearing the news on the radio with, with around people that were living, that lived in that community. So um, it just hit me really hard when we, when I boarded the plane, they had said on the news and and everybody at the airports just gathered around the monitors because we're right there. And they had announced that one, one child had died or one person had died. They didn't really specify who it was. And I was just the whole plane ride. There was no news on the plane. I I was just pondering that of just how terrible to not know who that one is, you know. Mm. And by the time I disembarked, it was at at 19, I think, at that point. And so that whole day just unfolded. And I felt like at the time I was at a church that didn't really allow for a lot of lament and things like that. And so I I was wrestling for what, what I needed in my own life as an artist. And so Troy and I, really a lot of what we do at Art House is like, what do, what do I need right now? I need something. And so I called a friend, a songwriter friend, a poet, a friend who's a cello player, a friend who's in theater, and a friend who's a, a dancer. Mm-hmm. And I asked all of them to respond to Sandy Hook. I did not give them any parameters. I didn't say, mm-hmm. you need to wrap it up with hope. Make sure you express this. I just said, I want you to respond. Uh-huh. And the night couldn't have been more... Um, beautifully orchestrated in in this you know uh, they didn't know each other they just all came mm. but um uh, the, my friend in theater did a piece from uh, she was currently doing I am in Frank and she did a, a segment from I am in Frank and um the friend that was a dancer was dancing a show at the Pantages so she brought the dancers that were back up with her and they did this dance to walk with me lord and so it just it it just was an incredible experience of catharsis of lament to be able to grieve communally, mm. um, and to, and to say you know a collective no <laughs> you know that's mm. uh, this is you know I don't know it just was a, a space that that I really needed and then from there we've done other we had a baker who has revived this um, traditional way of making bread and he's now selling the first loaf of bread that's. A one hundred percent made in Minnesota from Minnesota grain um, oh. her- with heritage seed and all these. So these oh, people wow. really care about. Uh, he cares about what he's doing and that it's ethically sourced and that you know everything is. Um, it's supporting the local farmer and grower. And so, what I told Troy at the end of the night, I said, "What what we've done here for the most part, it doesn't come across as shaming or finger wagging or didactic. It's it is an invitation." 
to uh, you know rethink something or to consider something. And so that's been that that really is the heart of what we're trying to do at Art House. Mm. And how far does your circle extend with the the artists that you work with? I know you're real focused on the community, but the next closest art house is in Nashville. Do you kind of work with artists between here and, and Nashville or is it really limited to the Twin Cities area? No, we do work with artists from all over. We had to cancel our event with Scott Erickson. He's out in, in uh, the northeast of Seattle or is he in Portland? We also have met people over 20, you know, 22 years of being on the road. We've met a lot of artists and obviously a lot of songwriters. So at my songwriter event this year, I had, you know, propagandas in L.A. Um, and then I had uh, Joy Ike, who's in Philadelphia. So I, of course, right now we're doing everything virtually. So you yeah. can you can broaden that scope. But we also have had artists from all over the country. So we've worked with artists from all over the, the United States as far as like presenting and sharing. But then. Uh, people that actually come to events are usually, you know, drawing from the Twin Cities. Sometimes people come up from from Iowa or from Wisconsin, too. Mm, okay. Tell us a little bit about some of the resources that Art House provides to artists in terms of access to speakers and teachers. Well, right now we've just been local here. And so you would you would need to come to an event in order to have access to those things. But just this summer, we made our songwriter retreat. We put it online and we had an overwhelming response. I think in the spring, we're having an art and faith a retreat type event um, over a day and a half or so. And that will be just kind of talking about some of these ideas um, and how uh, the arts really, how their intersection with faith, but also how we all we all need this kind of, um, even even around our faith conversations. We do a, a Bible study at the art house and it's, its roots are in the Hebrew language. And so it's just a really interesting way of studying. But our, we always start it by saying, this is the beginning of a conversation, not the end. And so um, we really try to lean into that artist identity, I guess, that's very different from, like, from the pragmatism of a lot of the spaces that we're in. And uh, a lot of our churches, um, Makoto Fujimura, the visual artist, and one of my exemplars and mentors has said that every institution is infected with you know, pragmatism and utility and he said, maybe primarily the church. And so the artist finds mm. that that's a hard space because the pragmatist says what is useful is good. Mm. And that's a very different premise than where the musician and the artist is starting from. Yeah. They, you have to be free of that in order to create. You have to know that that God also is extravagantly lavish and wasteful. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and he invites us into these, what seem to be extravagantly wasteful, lavish spaces like Sabbath and other things in order to be creative. And so uh, so those are the kinds of things we're always trying to kind of keep in front of people because our culture is so pragmatically and utility driven. What is mm-hmm. useful is what is good. And you think, wow, what what do we do with all the unuseful uh-huh. <laughs> people, thoughts, places, you know, um, and is that even, does that even exist, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just, um, yeah, that's the kind of, I guess, haven uh-huh. we're, we're trying to extend to artists in, in a number of different ways. Sure. Well, and obviously, I'm sure there are full-time artists that are part of this community and that you interact with. But speaking of pragmatism, I'm sure there are also people who have day jobs and mm-hmm. their heart is in their art, uh, but they do have day jobs. And I'm, I'm guessing that you interact with a lot of those individuals, too. Yes, mostly. I think most most of the people that attend the songwriter retreat are 
people that, you know, they wrote songs in college, they were known for it at one point, and then it's life just overwhelms it and they lose that part of their identity. And a lot of people that come to the workshop are recovering that for themselves for the first time. And a lot of, a lot of my job is to say, this is worthwhile. It's not, it's not a mistake and it's not just in your head. The question, is this something is, is a good question to ask. And it's worthwhile for you to pursue it we can't control what happens on the other end of how many people hear it or how it's received, what number of things line up to get us a small audience or a large audience. Mm -hmm. And I can't control that even for myself, mm -hmm. uh, but I can say it's worth doing. And I, you know, even if it's not something gl more global, you know, yeah. it's, it's worthwhile. So we do, we talk a lot about that. And I do mostly at Art House, we're working with the layperson and people that are engaging with art in the in the margins of their life. Okay. So if people are listening and saying, well, I, I really do love this part of art, whether it's baking or photography or making music, but I'm not, I, I'm not like a full-time artist. You st you're saying we still, we still want to hear from you and we still want to have uh, interaction with you. Yeah. All is well, all are welcome in the art house is very much broadly for the artist's heart. Yeah. And lots oh, okay. of people have that artist's heart um, mm -hmm. that aren't even, aren't vocationally artists. Sure. Well, and as you were talking, I was thinking, I imagine there are probably a lot of people in the position where they've raised families, their kids are now a little bit older, maybe they're in school, a little more independent, or maybe parents are now empty nesters and they have a little bit more time and availability to devote to their art and using it in a way that is congruent with where their heart is and what their values are. And I could see that being a really great demographic to just really jump into this. <laughs> yes. And it's, uh, I mean, right now we haven't been done, do, we're not doing any gatherings, but um, we were looking forward on the other side of this. I think, I think there's going to be a reset after we're through all of this um, with being isolated and quarantine and all yeah. those kinds of things that I think there'll be a real, real hunger. And we're already looking towards, you know, a kind of a relaunch and uh, the art house in Dallas does a lot more with, so I have a songwriter group here cause that's my, you know, that's my field, but mm -hmm. art house Dallas has a lot more groups. They have a writer's group, a visual artist group. So I would love to see us here in, in art house North expand to have that same capacity. Cause I think that providing that alone, it, it just gives peer to peer. Um, you, you get the opportunity to bring your work in progress. It, it's just like extremely difficult sometimes to do that. But I, it, it's such a good process if you're, even if you are uh, just doing something as a hobby to just be in community with other people that are mm -hmm. doing that yeah. with you. Well, I think it's really exciting how you're taking all creative endeavors and creative people and using that for positive growth and change and inspiration and people and in communities. One of the phrases that kind of caught my attention on, I think it was the Nashville site was, they call it the artful, faithful life. Yeah. And then I saw somewhere else, the phrase helping people become more and more interested in the same things that Jesus was interested in, which yes. is, I think, a great way to kind of tie that back to your, your Christian faith and just the motivation, where that motivation is coming from. Yes. Well, you've, you've recorded 15 albums. Last year, you released a Christmas album called Joy of Every Longing Heart. Christmas is not that far away. Tell us just a little <laughs> bit about that Christmas album. Oh, that was uh, just such a joy to make. I 
basically I had done a Christmas record 10 years ago called Oh Holy Night. And the band and I, we dust that music off every year we go out and Christmas is a, a big, as far as like touring for me, I'm usually um, doing anywhere from 10 to 15 dates in December. Mm. And so we brush off all those songs and we just, as a band, we were saying, we just love these songs. We love this, um, this rhythm of, of our year and, and pulling these songs out every year. And we're always kind of adding something new and doing different things. So it just felt like it was time to add a little bit more to our lexicon. Uh, we started working on some new music and was produced at the art house. I think it's a good blend of, I, I wrote a couple original songs as well. So I think it's a good blend. Uh, but I was just looking at the sort of this, uh, the, the all the other players coming around and a lot of this, the songs, the old songs, um, uh, they go each stanza kind of start. There's an angel verse. There's a shepherd verse. There's a wise man verse. Uh -huh. uh, that's kind of a pattern of a lot of those old hymns. And so it seemed to fit that we were looking at all the different people that were firsthand witnesses to this um, this unbelievable incarnation. Mm, neat. Well, I ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending, a coda, by sharing a song or a story about a moment that music enhanced your life. Tell us about the song that you're going to be sharing with us today. Yes. Okay. So I've been talking a lot, Mindy, and I'll try to keep this story concise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's one that I have told a lot since I wrote the song. Um, this song was uh, closed out the record, Add to the Beauty. And it was a very important song to me. But at the time I was, um, it was actually about the time I was learning about IJM and I was feeling like, what, what is the point of music and words? I need to do something more hands-on. I need to go be engaged or be a nurse or be a lawyer, do something more actively engaged. Mm -hmm. And um, I was talking with Charlie Peacock and he, we were sitting in his kitchen and he said, have you ever heard of the cellist of Sarajevo? And I had not heard that story before. And he told me about um, Vedran Smolovich, who was uh, a cello player in the Sarajevo Symphony Orchestra. And his apartment looked over this square where men, women, and children would wait in a, in a bread line. And one day in the, in the middle of Bosnian war and conflict, um, a stray bomb fell on this square where people were, innocent people were waiting for bread. And he was a firsthand witness of just the, the carnage and everything that happened there. And he out of this moment, he put on his full tux and he went and played, basically it began a, a series of concerts that he played from bomb craters, mm. bombed out buildings mm -hmm. and places of severe conflict all over Bosnia. And he played 22 days to commemorate every person that had died in that event, mm. uh, 22 concerts. And every, every time he played the same song, he played this adagio that is absolutely this unbelievable lament, this beautiful piece of music. And I was very, uh, this became a mobilizing metaphor for me as, um, as a Christ follower, as a musician, that this is the spirit of what I wanted to be doing with my life, that we don't have to go far to find bombed out craters. And mm -hmm. we can be the kind of person that stands at the edge of the crater and talks about how it got there and whose fault it is and how deep it is and all of its parameters. Or we can be the kind of person that gets down into the middle of it and puts something there and put something of beauty there. And his his protest of beauty, many said, hastened the end of the war because this action was so, it was so other. It's like the nonviolent protests, I think, of the civil uh -huh. rights. It, it's something, there's something so Christ-like in it to me. Uh -huh. and, and to me, this is what Jesus does. He leaves a perfect place of perfect communion to enter suffering that's not his own. 
he comes into the middle of our bomb crater and he plays a song of the gospel. It is more lovely than anything we've ever heard before. And it's real. It meets us in the flesh and blood in the earth of our life. And so I wanted to do this. Really, Art House is my attempt to put, and Troy's attempt to put something uh, into the world that is a protest of beauty. And um, I, I want my life to go up like a song. I want my marriage, my parenting, my friendships, every part of my life to be something of, of this protest of this, to me, what is the heart of gospel, of good news. And so that became for me a metaphor that I think every really applies to everyone if you're in nursing or, you know, really mm-hmm. is globally applied because the the craters are all around all of us and we mm-hmm. we can all participate in this. And to me, it has something to do with with beauty of noticing, of drawing attention to uh, even this one soul, you know, to say this person is important um, and to, to speak to someone's value um, is, a, is definitely a part of that as well. So this song is called Why It Matters and was written uh, in the song. I, I found it difficult to rhyme with um, a cellist in a bomb crater, so I changed it to uh, a statue in a park, but it, uh, it is the resonant idea of this story. Like 
Why It Matters from Sarah's album, Add to the Beauty. Thanks so much to Sarah for joining us today, for sharing that beautiful, deep song, and for all she does to enhance lives and advocate for justice using music. If you are looking to get a head start on your holiday shopping and you want to shop with purpose, I want to let you know about a company I fell in love with called Noonday. Ironically, I just realized today that Noonday actually partners with International Justice Mission, IJM, which Sarah was talking about, to serve people who have been victimized. This is not a paid promotion. A neighbor friend introduced me to Noonday a year ago, and their mission and work really resonated with me. And they have beautiful, unique jewelry and accessories, which doesn't hurt. Noonday's mantra is that we are connected, we are better together, and we are more alike than different. And if you've listened to the show for a while, you've heard those themes here before. Noonday works to alleviate poverty by partnering with artisan businesses around the world to create opportunities for women who are vulnerable so they can earn a sustainable income. You can learn more about their mission and work at NoondayCollection.com. I want to throw some support their way, and I'm hosting a virtual adoption trunk show. The adoption part of the trunk show means that instead of the host, me, earning a free product credit, 10% of sales from the party are instead given to an adopting family. For my trunk show, the 10% of sales will be given to a family that attends my church and is in the process of adopting five siblings through the foster system. So any purchase you make through this trunk show will be directly supporting this family and fair trade jobs for vulnerable women throughout the world. Again, none of these funds go to me or this podcast. The Trunk Show ends November 22nd. If you'd like to learn more or browse Noonday's catalog, all links are in today's show notes at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast slash episode 68. I want to end with a shout out to listener James Dand. We had some conversations recently through LinkedIn, and James is doing some great work in the UK as an empowerment songwriter. James is commissioned to create music for companies and individuals, specifically as their own empowerment anthems. You can learn more about using music this way at James' website, inneranthem.com, or by listening to episode 66, where we talked with Olympic trainer Daniel Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with music.